You're listening to the Fit Mind Fit Body Podcast, where we explore the connection between running and positive mental health. We do this by talking to runners from all walks of life who generously share their experiences with us. So you don't miss an episode, I've created an email list for you to join. Check the show notes for more details. Without further ado, I'm your host, Michelle Frost. Let's get moving. Welcome to this episode of the Fit Mind Fit Body Podcast, where we dive into the incredible journey of lawyer and ultra runner Nick Montgomery. Join us as we unravel how Nick found his way into the world of running and discover the motivations that keep him going. From cross-country skiing to conquering long-distance trail running events, Nick shares valuable insights and tips for runners of all levels. So get ready to be inspired and motivated as we explore the power of endurance running in this episode, and it's sure to leave you lacing up your shoes and heading for the trails. Let's dive in. Today on Fit Mind Fit Buddy, I am really excited to introduce everyone to Nick Montgomery. Hello, Nick. Hi, Michelle. How are you? Oh, really good. Thank you. Again, like I say lots of times on the podcast, I haven't met Nick before, and he's a referral from another now friend who was a, a person I hadn't also not met until I had her on the podcast from Cheryl. So thank you for being brave and jumping on because it is a bit nerve wracking, I think, for a first timer. You're very welcome. <laughs> It's easy for me because I just turn up all the time and do it. So <laughs> it's not so much for everyone else. Anyway, let's get started. Tell me, where did you grow up, Nick? So I grew up in Armadale in the relatively inner suburbs of Melbourne. I now live on the other side, but also in on the inner side of Melbourne. And I've lived in Melbourne for almost my whole life. Oh, I was born there. So I'm in Tasmania, but I was born in was born Ah, cool. In, Yes, and had a, a childhood in King Island, but yes. Oh, very Vic- interesting. Victoria is our uh, is my family. Yeah, just that's where we came from, as well. And then we kind of moved away. Um, <laughs> what was your childhood like? Were you very sporty in your childhood? I would describe myself as more of the nerdy type than the sporty type. Mm-hmm. I've never had any ball skills. Um, I did try to play cricket, tennis, soccer, footy, rugby was pretty bad at all of them um the one that I was somewhat okay at was alpine skiing because my family used to go up to Falls Creek most weekends that turned into taking alpine skiing pretty seriously and then when I was eight years old I tried cross-country skiing for the first time and loved it that then evolved into um a sort of ski racing career over about seven years where oh, wow. I raced for Australia overseas. Um, so I actually ended up in a very sporty place, but I did not consider myself remotely sporty at school until oh, I started doing okay in sort of house cross-country running. Well, that's fascinating. I did not know that the skiing background. That's really fascinating. Uh, we can dig into that a bit in a minute. Do you have siblings? No, just an only child. And we, are your parents kind of sporty? Are they outdoorsy or just skiing types? Is it sounds like they're, they were into skiing as well? They're both very outdoorsy mm-hmm. and they're both sporty. My dad had the sort of broader sporting skills, yeah. played cricket at a fairly high level, 
is obsessed with lots of different sports. Um, my mum, very active, particularly now, she's a keen road cyclist, alpine skier, cross-country skier. Oh, wow. um, family bushwalks were always a big part of my childhood. So I, I certainly had the right background to get into running and to get into trail running in particular. Yeah. And so when you first started, when you did the cross-countries at school, for example, can you remember what you thought about them? Did you enjoy them? Was it something you were looking forward to or something else entirely? No, I, I think, so there's a, a photo that my dad took when I was in year four in 2003, which everyone can work out how old I was from that. <laughs> um, and it's a photo in a photo album and he's written on the back that of the 100 people in the race, boys and girls, I was 63rd out of 100. Um, so I was definitely not naturally gifted at running. I didn't particularly enjoy it. And even through my cross-country ski career, it was only sort of towards the end that I decided I kind of liked running. So okay. it was a bit of a, a bit of a love-hate relationship for a long time and That's a means to an end of being fit for something else. Because I've not done, I've done a little bit of downhill skiing and haven't done any cross country, but I know that it's like very much an endurance sport, no matter the distance. It feels like it's endurance yeah. just going cross country, you know, five meters is of an endurance. Um, it's quite challenging um, depending on the conditions. But uh, So it strikes me that what a lot of people don't like about running is that endurance element. Like a lot of people can, you know, sprint to catch the bus and even when they're kids, they seem to quite enjoy really quick sprints, but yeah. it's anything longer gets a bit stressy. I, I, like I, I think it's the, the commitment of actually going out running and having to put on okay. the gear and having to embrace the whole sport is something that I know a few people don't like, Yeah, a few of my friends. <laughs> um, but I think, I think for me it was as I got a bit stronger and a bit bigger and as I – did more skiing and more other sports I realized I was relatively okay at running and so yeah. I kind of gravitated a bit more towards it because I was good at it which is okay. perhaps not the best approach for getting people into running but that was how that was just my journey to get there so it gets you there we're happy <laughs> what did you do at school like when you finished um, high school what did you go on and do so I went and studied arts at the University of Melbourne Yep. Um, for three years, um, but I knew that I wanted to study law. So I did my undergrad arts degree. I then went overseas for a year to take my ski training more seriously and see if I could get to the Olympics, which I couldn't. Um, so I decided then that I wasn't going to hold up the law career. So I came back to Melbourne, did my three-year degree there, yeah. Um, and then began as a lawyer or as a law graduate in 2019. Oh wow. Oh, you're such a baby. Um, it's a little bit like my it's a little bit like my husband's story, but he's about like I've got kids about the same age as you, I think. And almost, but he he um he almost represented Australia at the Olympics in rowing. And he took uh -huh. he took some time off um uni as well and then went back to surveying and computing later on. But you know, we're talking about a number of decades before you did. So a similar kind of story, though. Uh, he still boom, uh, cries about the fact that he was at the AIS with some people who went on and became the awesome foursome that you may oh, right. or may not know <laughs> because I, of I, your age. I am just old enough to remember them when they were racing. So. Yeah, He can't sing, though, so he couldn't have gone on and done those um, the 
golden fruit ads or whatever it is they used to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of funny. Um, well, that's fascinating. Um, I wouldn't mind, can you reflect a little bit about what it's like to be at that kind of elite level in an endurance sport? I know it's not running, but what was that like for you on reflection? It's probably different now when you look back compared to when you're in the thick of it. So the thing that I remember was how difficult it was to manage my time. Mm-hmm. I was, whenever I was training, except for that year in Germany where I had a lot more time and there was a lot of downtime, my sort of regular weeks and months would involve having to fit a hell of a lot of stuff into a week. Yeah. So 15 to 20 training hours plus all the time to get to and from training and to recover plus cooking and eating, going to class, yeah. revising for exams yeah, um, and a bit of work as well. So it was all, um, it was challenging fitting it all together mm-hmm. and it was only in my final year of cross-country skiing after I'd started law that I said, right, not having a written training plan anymore because I used to have it all planned That's out. Really regimented. Said, this yeah. is I said, this is too difficult. I actually can't do it like this. I'm just going to pretty much train myself, work out what I need to do a day or two in advance based on what I know I also have as a commitment in the rest of my life. And so that's kind of how I am today where there's a low degree of planning in terms of working out my training. But I I think that's, that's the main difference I can remember Having said that, when I was overseas racing, one of the defining memories is that if you have a race on the weekend, you can't do that much training because cross-country skiing is relatively high impact, a bit lower than running, but not that much lower. And so if you've got five days until you've raced and you don't want to do more than, let's say, eight hours of training over those days or Mm. perhaps 10, there's a hell of a lot of empty hours in the day and so I think that's sort of the difference between an elite athlete who doesn't have to work and study and do everything else is yeah. heaps and heaps of time to recover and often a lot of boredom and feeling like you're missing out on seeing the places you're in Yeah. compared to the athlete trying to fit everything in um, or even not an athlete, even just, you know, someone who's a parent or has other responsibilities, caregiving responsibilities. It's a, a vastly different experience, even though, you're still doing sport at the end of the day. Yeah, that's interesting. It's a fascinating thing to way to look at it as well. Can you remember what you were thinking? How old were you when you went went over to Germany, like to to Europe? Uh, I was twenty one, but mm-hmm. I'd been doing sort of been doing the overseas cross country training trips. I think the first time I was seventeen. Oh wow! So it was uh, seventeen for about seven mm-hmm. years. Yeah, yeah. Wow, and so. You know, that being away, that first time you go away without, you know, your family necessarily and your the the expectations to go and do well and all of all of the lead up. I mean, I imagine it's very exciting, but also a little stressful from time to time. Yeah, I think when you go over to Europe in particular, America's a bit kinder, but when you go to Europe, the standard is so high. Mm. And so even if you're top dog or close to top dog in Australia, you go to Europe and you find that it's really, really competitive and there are people that have been doing it for longer and who have, you know, 
their national governments paying their income yeah. so that they don't have to do anything but train. It's quite. It's different. a very uneven playing field. <laughs> it actually, it, I mean, on a completely zero uh, comparison to your level, but going from King Island being open track and field champion, that was me yeah. in grade ten, to going to year eleven and twelve in country Victoria, and I don't like middle of the pack maybe, and I was like, yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> Like, anyway, I, I know the feeling. <laughs> so kind of no, but on a very different scale. Um, when you when you were at uni, um, how did so you were still skiing a little bit? When did the running start to pick up and become a bit more of your life? Was so, it during your uni time? I mean, I think it probably grew slowly as I was um, as I was still training. On, on the Australian team, I was obviously doing more and more. I think it became a bigger part of my training and I used to do more road cycling for that kind of dropped off a bit. Um, I think it's a bit hard to describe exactly how I got into it, but part of part of what happened was I started doing road gaining, which is yep. the um, Cunning running uh, cross-country navigation sport. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a friend who was more into running than me and we've done a heap of adventures together. Um, then he then organised an event which involved climbing 9,000 vertical metres in a day on foot. Oh, and so I did that event in 2016 and 17. Wow. And between the row games and those events, I kind of realised that, okay, once I've retired from cross-country skiing, which I knew was coming, yeah. Um, trail running probably makes sense as my next focus yeah so I then I joined the Melbourne Uni Athletics Club which I'm still in today even though I'm no longer a student um so I did that for some interval training and to be part of a team and then from mid 2017 I started doing quite a few trail races and built up from 50k to 100 miles over the years that's amazing were you um I was just thinking, you know, typical people at university, and I don't think you're quite typical. Um, there's that element of things that they used to do that were healthy, they no longer do. <laughs> you know, whether <laughs> and so they might party a bit, they might whatever, they certainly don't sleep enough. And yeah. anything that was sporty kind of gets pushed away to the side a bit because, well, they've got to focus on their studies, but also on their social life. It's probably a nicer mm. way to put it. Did that was that a thing for you, or I think I was pretty good at balancing it. Mm-hmm. Um, partly because I was cross country skiing at an elite level, mm. I I had made the conscious choice that I was going to keep training and I wasn't yep. just going to fall into what some would call the uni lifestyle. Yeah. Um, but but at the same time, I mean, I was always very keen to go out to the pub when I could and to go out with friends and have a late night. Um, I I have a few memories of training in Royal Park sort of the morning after a late party with the sun beating down on me and I was running up and down the same hill with my (laughs) ski poles and thinking this is pretty miserable but at least I'm getting the session done as it's written down in my training diary or in in my training plan. So (laughs) there there was always a bit of balance um mm. just just as today I've got a I have to balance my somewhat long work hours with needing to get kilometers in 
Did, did you ever recognize, and sometimes when I want to talk a little bit about uni stuff, I'm trying to get at whether the sport actually supported as well what you studies? Because yeah, there is science that shows that when we're fit or when we're aerobically fit or even as directly as if you go for a run and then sit down to study or do an exam, you're going to do a little better perhaps than if you hadn't just been for a run because of all of the things yeah. that go on in our mind. I think for me, I don't have the control group or the sort of control period where I haven't been exercising yeah, to actually determine. Yeah. I, I think if I'm if I'm injured, I get a bit crabby and frustrated. So it's probably the case that I can't um, that I can't function as well. But also, yeah. not being tired all the time has it has other benefits at least in the short term. So um, yeah. I I think I probably can't offer a, a solid opinion on that one. It's interesting, isn't it? It's uh, I, I wonder about it sometimes and whether it should be something that's encouraged, you know, regularly. I mean, I think it is, but it, not in a formal yeah. sort of sense. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm in the athletics club that's associated with Melbourne University mm-hmm. and um, I'm part of the committee for that. And that's part of the focus that the university has where they want people to join our training squads yeah. And they want people to go out in casual running groups and to come onto campus and socialise over exercise because it's a bit bleak if you're just in the library and in, yeah. in your lectures or even worse, at home on Zoom all day. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think having the exercise gives a really good social focus as well if you can do it with other people. Yeah, I love that. Um, what does your running look like now? Like you, you said you got into a lot of those long distance and it sounds like mostly trail. Yes, mm. mostly trail. I would, so I'll caveat it by saying at the moment I've got a couple of injuries mm-hmm. and my running is pretty limited and I'm focusing a lot more on the things the physio wants me to do. Um, I've got a, a sore knee and plantar fasciitis. Um, Excellent. <laughs> but in, in, the usual, in the usual course, um, I generally run about 70 to 80K a week. Okay. Um, that will include a long Sunday run where I mm-hmm. go out to typically the Dandenong Ranges outside of Melbourne or the Yarra Ranges or any of the other amazing trail running places um, around Melbourne. Um, I will generally run for three and a half to four hours on a Sunday or do or, or even longer it could be 35 oh, wow. to 40 K yeah um which is the, the main focus of my week um I try to do at least one but sometimes two training sessions with my athletics club squad where we do shorter intervals it might be three by seven minutes mm-hmm. of relatively fast pace but not sprinting um and then a lot of the rest of my running is actually commuting to and from work when I'm able to. So if I can leave my computer at work, I can then run home. It's about six kilometres. I can make the run longer if I take a different route. And then the next morning I wake up and I can run uh, after I've walked the dog and done all the other things I need to do at home. I can then run into work and I have all, have my suit and everything there. Um, and that's that's the main way I actually extract some kilometers out of the middle of the week. Yeah. And combine that with a gym session and occasionally a swim. And that's pretty much what my training looks like. Um, 
So it's it's always a challenge fitting it all in. It is. Um, but if I can get to that sort of 70 to 80K, um, then I'm pretty happy and my body seems to do okay on those kind of, on that kind of distance. Do you, do you run with uh, people on the Sunday, on the long run? Yes. So you mentioned Cheryl before. Mm-hmm. She's part of my Sunday long run group. Mm-hmm. Um, I met one of the guys in that group six years ago um, when we happened to be at a race together. He We ended up carpooling up to Mount Buller. He then said, oh, I run with these people on a Sunday. Um, there's there's sort of I guess about 10 people who will be there from time to time although usually we're a bit smaller than that so I've got some really good friends from that they're actually off in the Grampians this weekend doing a training run before the Grampians Peaks Trail Ultra and I because of my injuries had to pull out and I've been watching I've been watching their uh, Instagram stories from the the northern Grampians and just feeling a bit of um Envy. Feeling like I've missed out and a bit of envy, yeah. <laughs> so you, you joined them and uh, and you, that's who you run with on your Sundays? Yeah, mm. so it's not every Sunday. We're pretty mm. irregular in terms of mm. sometimes we're just not available, sometimes we all choose to run in different spots, but yeah. when we can organise it to be all together, that's great. Otherwise, some, I've got a few friends I can call up, sometimes run with someone else or I'll often just be there by myself with uh, a, a podcast or sometimes with nothing yeah. at all and just just having some time to myself. I love it. So do you find your, like, do you always have a race that you're training for? Is there something that you're, you know, a goal that you're trying to reach? Yeah. Yeah. So at the moment, um, I mentioned just before the Grampians Peaks Trail Ultra, which is 100 miles from the mm-hmm. northern tip of the Grampians to the south. So that's been my goal. I, I, generally have two to three A races each year. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, an A race might be 100 miles or 100K or one of the shorter, more popular runs. Um, and then in between all of those, there are the races I do with the athletics club. So there are 3K, 5K, 10K track races. Yeah. There's the cross country and the road series in winter which might be sort of 8 to 12K, so I get yep. to practice some other aspects of racing. And then in the middle of that, although not this year because of the lack of snow, there's the um, cross-country ski races that I sometimes turn up to. Mm-hmm. And I kind of – that's another one of those filler activities that yeah. I love doing, even if it's not the focus of my training. Oh, what my um, sister-in-law – has a child who's in the Special Olympics and uh, with an intellectual disability. And as a result, she's part of organising lots of things, including the skiing. So uh-huh. <laughs> they were very disappointed this year because of the lack of snow. So, yes. Um, yeah. So I did know about that in Victoria. <laughs> I yes, was like, it was oh, a bit no, of a problem. It's awful. Anyway, I think this uh, my niece, who's uh, 23, represents Australia in basketball as well, so they were going off to some camp in Thailand. They have so many things they go off and do. It's amazing. Just uh, always. Lucky them. Yeah, I know. Like, whoa, that's crazy. Um, all right. So tell me, you said that you're injured at the moment and that you get a bit grumpy when you're injured. Um, 
how do you how do you deal with it if you can't run at all? Like, is there a do you have tricks or do you do you think of yourself, you know, identity wise as perhaps somebody who wants to say fit rather than just a runner? Or how does it sit um, with you? I don't think it's necessarily an identity thing. I don't really like I've got you know, I've got lots of other things, other things in my life that if if I couldn't run anymore, I would still feel mostly whole, whole yeah. although not entirely. Yeah. Um, I I think it's mainly a sort of just a mental health thing almost. Yeah. I remember in I had a similar thing at the beginning of COVID. I actually I pr- it was probably the same injury that has now come back, mm. but I I couldn't really run and also couldn't really get treatment for it because we were all staying at home. Yeah. And when you combine that with being in lockdown, then that's um Ouch. that's pretty unhelpful. I, I think if I'm if I'm injured from running, I can usually find enough other things that I like doing mm-hmm. to keep myself fit. So I think I like staying fit. It doesn't necessarily have to be running. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not I'm not worried that I'm going to lose my fitness or lose my abilities. It's just that I feel better from day to day if I've got some exercise in me. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think motivates you? I know we talked about, you know, having a race to plan for and things like that. Are you motivated by being fit? Are you motivated by the competition you can see ahead? Are you motivated by the cool adventure, you know, you might have when you go for your trail run on Sunday up in the day? Yeah. It's, it's an interesting one. I'm pretty competitive. Mm-hmm. So I would say the the primary motivation towards why I run the amount I do and why I invest so much in it is because I like the racing and the challenge of, of racing against someone, particularly if you get someone who's a pretty equal ability in a race and you get to have that duel over hours and hours yeah. trying to to wear them down and watch if they're going to crack, um, which is something that most people don't say in trail running. They say, I'm there for myself. I'm there just to have a nice time, but I'm actually there to like be competitive, which is a bit different. Yeah, a, a little bit different from some. Um, that so that's, ties with your background a bit too, though, doesn't it? Yeah, like you I don't go so. represent Australia in anything unless there's some kind of competitive edge that you are after in your personality. Yeah. Competitive person. And, yeah. And then I think the second the second motivation is I really enjoy being out in nature when I'm trail running. Mm. I don't think I'd be as interested in running if it was just around the suburbs. Mm-hmm. It's really, I go to the Dandenong Ranges, I go to the Yarra Ranges, enjoy the tall forest and mm. the occasional animal encounters and I get to climb mountains and do all these cool things. So I think that's probably the the second aspect to it the the just being fit for the sake of being fit is probably down the list compared to the other that sort of sense of adventure and the sense of competition yeah interesting um how long do you think you will run for in your life I mean I would like to run well as as long as my body allows me which I'm hoping is until is is well into my 60s, but yeah. I'm aware that not everyone is as fortunate. Um, my dad was a pretty good runner um, until his 
I think it must have been about late 40s mm-hmm. and then arthritis and other mm. injuries meant that it wasn't possible and he's still active, but yeah. that sort of brought brought that to an end. Mm. So I, I would like to think I've got several decades left in me. At least. Like I'm in my 50s and I'm planning to have at least another four decades. So that's, oh, yeah. <laughs> there's heaps of, heaps of time there. Um, if you hadn't started running, like as in running for its sake, what do you think your life would be like now? Like what's it giving your life that you maybe would be missing out on had you not taken it up as your sport right now? Um, I think it's a bit hard to say because I would probably just choose another sport. Mm-hmm. So I'd probably be road cycling more or maybe doing more cross-country ski-specific training. So so it's, why aren't you, put it that way then, why aren't you doing that? Why have you chosen running above those other things? You can um, get competition and you can get I, out into the bush, you can do all those. Yeah, there's, it's actually, they're actually fairly, um, I mean, the reasons are basically that road cycling, while I do it for commuting, mm-hmm. I got sick of the danger of, being yeah. out on fast country roads and yeah. hearing about the injuries and things. And if I can run the same areas and not have the locals who don't yeah. think I should be on the road at all, mm-hmm. um, if I can avoid people doing that to me, then that's fantastic. Um, it's also just a lot easier to fit in. Yes. So it's cross-country skiing is hard because you need to go to specific places to do it. <laughs> and you only, in Australia, you only get it for a couple of months a year yeah. and the rest of the training is a bit tedious. Yeah. So I, I think it actually kind of, it's a convenient way of staying fit and getting into competition. It doesn't have the same time requirement as other sports. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you if you want to be a sort of reasonably competitive cyclist, you've got to do a lot more time in the saddle than I'm running. Um, so it's something that allows me to fit. I, I'm able to fit it in with my work schedule reasonably well, which I don't think I could manage for probably any other sport. Okay. Um, and then the, the, the final point is I'm a very poor swimmer. <laughs> I, 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 I can do it and I, I go to the pool and I swim for 40 minutes from time to time, but I couldn't, I couldn't do a sport like that. So I, I think it's sort of a whole range of factors, which means that running is the endurance sport that suits my lifestyle at the moment. Do you have any tips on how you do fit it in? I mean, you're a lawyer, obviously you have a dog and a, a yes. wife and you know, you have a full life already. How, how yeah. do you, like what tips could you give for, to people to help them fit it in? Because most people say I don't have time. Does that, you know, does yeah. that spot? I mean, I think you so i'll preface this by saying some of it is much easier as a man Mm -hmm. so running late at night if you Mm. had a had a full day and it's nine o'clock and you go i just i just need to go out for 40 minutes and run around i can go out with a head torch i'm not really concerned for my safety um i'm very privileged to have that opportunity 
you know, um, for others, <laughs> I would yeah. For others, I would say if you can, if you can try and do your travel on foot as much as yeah. possible. So if you've got a, you know, if you have to go to the shops or something, mm-hmm. and you've only got to buy a couple of things, there's no real reason why if you have a running backpack, you yeah. can't run there, turn up in your sports clothes buy what you need and then come home yeah. or run to work or run to Pilates or whatever mm-hmm. class you're doing. Um, yeah, I don't own a car. Um, I oh, borrow wow. one on the weekend to go uh, to go out of Melbourne. Yeah. Um, so I try and run and cycle everywhere. And if, if there is the opportunity to run, if I don't have too much stuff or it doesn't matter if I'm sweaty at the end, yeah. then I try and do that. And I think the, the final thing that I'd recommend is if you've got a commitment with other people, so for me it's athletics training and you know that it's at 5.30 on a particular night, you can carve that time out for yourself and most people will, ha- will have a way around keeping that time as running time. Mm-hmm. So it might be that your day feels full and you couldn't see where where how you could possibly do it. But if you start from the premise of this time is blocked out and I'm gonna the people around me are going to help, whether that's looking after children to say they're yours for this period, yeah. or whether it's looking after a pet or a family member or cooking dinner or any of those things, it's often you can often make the time and sort of put that in place as something that has to happen and then the rest can fit mm. together because otherwise it's very easy to stay busy the whole day and oh, it is. Not, yeah. not get out to exercise at all because there's always something else that needs doing. There is. It's so true. Are we As a mother, things like kids at sports training, <laughs> that would be always a good time to go for a training run, you know, while they were yeah. doing their training. Um, but even as you said, I would often get my kids and my husband to throw me out of the car if we're on the way somewhere and I would run the rest of the way or leave early and they'd pick me up on the way home. You know, the, So yeah. I made opportunities, like you said, when I would only go, I was only going to be sitting in the car or whatever. So I may as well, you know, take, and, uh, do the run. Mm. Yeah, I think if, if your approach is I have to go and run a specific circuit in a particular target time mm-hmm. and do it in a in the same way each time, then it's get, it's very difficult to find the opportunity to always when do that. So if you're really mm-hmm. flexible and you just say any running is okay running. Mm-hmm. Obviously some is better than others, but if you can just do something, yeah. <laughs> it's always going to be better than nothing. Can, can you reflect on a time when running felt for you like you were, like you, everything was flowing and you were in an environment, it doesn't have to be a race, could have just been a training run on a Sunday or whatever up in the, is there a time where everything just seemed to flow, at least for a period of a run, that just everything felt yeah. awesome? Um, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to think of the best example. It, it happens relatively frequently awesome. when I'm just out on my Sunday runs. Mm-hmm. Um. I, I think the ones in the races are the, are the ones I can sort of call to mind as yeah. quickly as possible. Um, I'll take you to uh, 2018. 
mm-hmm. um, a, a race called the Great Ocean Walk 100. Yeah. Um, where you do the whole the whole walking track. Wow. Um, I was. It was my first 100k race. Mm-hmm. I was relatively new. I had. I sort of knew that I was targeting the win for it, and I'd been in the lead for most of the race. Wow. And I had got. I had run out of water with it's sort of the I guess it was about the 65 to 70k mark yeah. it was hot I couldn't eat because I didn't have any water um it, it's an it's a part of the course where people have had that problem before they yeah. just slightly underestimate how much they need yeah and they get thirsty so I came into the aid station and second place caught up to me and so I had um People looking after me, I got ice put around my neck in a buff. I had heaps and heaps of watermelon. I took a bit of extra time to just like get myself Hydrate, yeah. back back together. And so first place, the other guy left the aid the final aid station with 20k to go. He left first. Yeah. And so I then thought, okay, that's fine. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna have to catch him. And I just had 10K of sort of that complete determination, but also feeling like I was able to really flow up and down the sand dunes and along that undulating coastal trail. And I I remember firstly how good it felt at the time that after 80K, I'd managed to pull my race back together. Um, And then the final 10K of the race, I then was – faced with the consequences of the really good 10K from kilometres 80 to 90 and realised just how much I was hurting. But I was so deep into that hurt box by that point that I sort of just kept pushing. So those final 20K had sort of a half where it felt amazing and really easy and then a half where it felt really hard, but I was motivated enough to get to the finish. And how did you pull up? Very badly. I think I took three weeks before I could really <laughs> run again. What position did you cross the line in? In first. Oh, you did, you did catch I, him I then. Had, <laughs> I had, I, yeah, so I, I caught him relatively quickly and then I had that oh, sense wow. of I need to get You are now running away. <laughs> you are so now being chased. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I don't get caught. Wow, um, I, well done. In, in, in retrospect, I probably got a little bit of rhabdomyolysis on that day. Mm. Um, when I'd run out of food in mm-hmm. April this year, I actually got it to the point where I had to go to hospital oh, after a no. 150k race. Um, so hopefully, I will not get it anymore, and I have learned my lesson. I mean, there are people who at home who haven't pushed themselves that much, and on the podcast, we talk about comfort zone and how Mm. you know our modern world has us all in this little comfort bubble and that's all we really ever try to do is be more comfortable so it it leads me to think you know how do those of us who go out and do some of these crazy things how do we what motivators what we've talked about what motivates you but what why do we put ourselves in and you even described it the pain box why do we do that is it because we're living in such a comfortable life that we need that extreme Oh, yeah, I, I think it has to do it has to do something with that. I think part of it might be you're pursuing that sense of accomplishment. Mm-hmm. And when you're in the middle of the race, you know that 
the only way you will get that is if you push yourself to a point that feels quite painful. Uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> I used to think about it in cross-country skiing because cross-country skiing is more intensely painful than running because it's mm-hmm. every muscle of your body and you still have to be able to stand up straight to not mm-hmm. fall over while you're skiing down the hill. Um, I used to think of it as if I don't push myself hard enough in the race, the frustration and annoyance of finishing the race with something left in the tank is much worse than the pain you experienced during the race. So that was kind of how I how I did it. I was worried I wasn't going to go hard enough and I used that yeah. as motivation to then go harder. <laughs> We are funny. Um, is there is there a goal that you have for your running in the next couple of years? I know you talked about uh, one race in the Grampians, but is there like a, you know, you could anything that you really want to do that you haven't done yet, or is it? Do you just how do you choose what you're going to do next as well? Um, I usually pick a race a year or so out. Mm-hmm. Um. This has happened a couple of times where I don't have, I I get to my A race, I finish it, and then I don't have the next one. I kind of have to look around and I'll decide, okay, I should probably do this race. I don't have a particular end point, at least for the next few years. Mm -hmm. I think it's more to keep doing it. Yeah. There, you know, as as life gets busier, there's every chance that it will become a lot harder. But if I can stay sort of in a similar position competitively and if I can eat fit enough to keep doing those kind of long races, mm. um, I think that's probably enough. There are some who always will choose a longer or harder race. You do 100 miles, yeah. then there, there's always a longer race. You can run a 200-mile race or even longer if you want. I can't um, even tell I, you what I thought when I realised there was more than a marathon after I'd done my yeah. first marathon. What? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think it's more I, I don't have any particular desire to go longer than 100 miles. Yeah. Um, there's a few places that I wouldn't mind running in just recreationally. Mm-hmm. Um. There's no there's no big overarching goal. I more just keep doing it from year to year and things come along and I do what I can with them. Because mm, I guess you're connected as well, you know, in that world by being, you know, with the guys up in the, that you run with, you, you know, you find out what they're all doing as well and then it kind of trickles around yeah. like that too. Yeah, and th- yeah. things, you know, there might be a new race that comes up and I think, oh, that's a cool course. I'll give that one a go. And that becomes the new priority race. So, Have you ever left Victoria yeah. for a run? It's like they've all been Victorian runs so far. Um, I have I have raced in Tasmania oh, you have? twice. Oh. I did the Sakina Ultra in 2020. Yeah. In in March 2020, like half of us oh, were oh. half of us were elbow bumping and half of us were shaking hands. But 150 of us were crammed into a community hall. So in oh, retrospect, wow. it was all, you know, if there'd been an infection, we would have all got it. Um, so it was it was just before everything closed yes. down. Um, that was lucky. <laughs> yeah. And then I returned two years later also to Tassie to do the first Kunani mountain run. Mm-hmm. I did that. Which was really cool. Mm. And, and also very hard. 
mm-hmm. um, particularly given you know it's only in inverted commas only sixty eight k, but yep. it's a really a really tough uh, sixty eight or whatever it is. Yes. Um, I think it's just those two trail runs okay. I've done interstate. Um, a- apart from the row games, which are a little bit of a, a different sport, where I've done that in most states in Australia. Oh wow! Um, oh, that's. I mean, it's kind of. It's not sim. It's similar, <laughs> except that yeah. you're looking at maps and you know I, doing. Yeah, I, I think stuff. if I go if I go over uh, interstate or even overseas, I'm usually I usually just want to go and explore. Okay. So I had a holiday with my wife at the beginning of this month, and on the first, so we arrived at our hotel in Tokyo at 11 p.m. Yeah. I woke up the next morning at 5 a.m. to get on the train, to get on a bus, to get on another bus, to run up Mount Fuji. Oh. And down, and then get on the bus back to Tokyo and do the whole thing in a day. Wow! So it's that you know, if, if I'm traveling, I want to go and explore the places yeah. on foot. I'm less fucked with finding a, a race to do. I think mm. I just want to. I just want to see it. Yeah. And does your wife run as well? Does she go um, do those runs when you're on holiday? Or <laughs> no, no. So I she, she used to run a bit more. I trained i gave her a training plan and helped her um to a point where she could run 15k um so i sort of had a a very simple training plan of you do two runs a week Mm -hmm. one is a bit more intense and a bit shorter and then there's a long run on the weekend and you try and stretch out the long run um but she hasn't been doing that recently so it's just something for me and something for my friends yeah fair enough what kind of things are you thinking about when you're running? You don't have to give us like, mm. the detail, but what sort of things <laughs> go through your mind? Well, in a recreational one, it will be anything from the things I've done this week to if I'm listening to a podcast, the things on the podcast yeah. to things to do with the environment, climate change, infrastructure, sort of all the things around us yeah. that affect what I'm running through. Yeah. Um. And then in a race, in a really long race, I will sometimes hallucinate a bit. So <laughs> I've had I've had one where I thought my digestive system had its own personality and was called Sarah. Um, what? That was that was rather strange. I've had a few like visual hallucinations as well, where you you're pretty oh, okay. sure you see like a van parked on the top of the hill and there's just nothing there. Wow. Does that worry you? <laughs> oh, not hugely. It's it's only when I'm really tired. I, okay. I'm not good at the I'm not good at the running through the night, and so yeah. I get to three to five a.m. and I find that my brain does some strange things. Do you have naps? Like I, I haven't done anything over a sixty k, so I haven't had to, like. But I do plan to, so I I do wonder oh, how that works. I've I've never been in a race long enough that I've deliberately taken a nap. As okay. in a hundred miles, I will try and run through mm-hmm. without any sort of stops saved to mm-hmm. you know take food on and get water mm-hmm. yeah um i have fallen asleep while running so you kind of <laughs> i i suppose it's the, the same as people who fall asleep at the wheel while driving wow. they have a little micro sleep and then you Mildly just realize <laughs> that you have to open your eyes again because otherwise you're going to fall over the head first um, into whatever 
Yeah, or, or, or if I'm running with poles, I'll sort of lean over them and then just wait for a moment and have like this half-second micro-sleep oh, wow. without, without sitting down and then I try and keep going. Um, <laughs> so that's one of the less pleasant aspects of long-distance running. Yeah. Yes. I was reading um, one of my, the people who've been on the podcast, um, she was talking about having done quite a few 200 milers in the last few years and I know she takes, like, she'll even just curl up on the side of the trail and have, like, a 10-minute nap here and there because it's, yeah. like, 100 hours she takes to do the 200 miles. I would, I would certainly be napping <laughs> if I were ever to attempt the 200-miler. I'm not really intending to do that at the moment. It just seems astonishing <laughs> to me. But I admire I the people that do it. There is something about, like I watched a movie last night about um, Shackleton's ad- adventures into the Antarctic and it, it was really just about endurance and what humans can and will do to, to push through those kind of things. And it made me think about, you know, these kind of long-distance runners and, you know, they're trying to kind of see what they can do and what their body will do. It's kind of fascinating to it makes you kind of want to explore it a bit yourself, but then you get a bit carried away and think, mm, do I do I really want to <laughs> to do that? Yeah, hundred hours. And also, <laughs> if you if you have a job and a bunch of other commitments, mm. it's easier said than done to just exactly. go and yeah. test yourself like that. Yeah. What fascinates me at the moment is how many people are out there doing those things now. Like when I started running, yeah, well, forever ago, um, it just what like people ran, but they didn't the ultra um, community was nowhere near the size it is now. And it, it seems to be, um, you know, almost not common, but not uncommon that maybe yeah. I've got a skewed view because of the podcast and seem to get lots of ultra runners. On my I think there's, there's certainly been a boom in trail running and in ultras more generally. Yeah. Um, I know there are some who mourn the loss of some of the sort of community aspects of it as it becomes a bit more commercial mm. and race directors are required to take on more risks. So they charge more yeah. Yeah. to make sure that they can cover their costs. Insurances and, and things, yeah. Be, be paid for their time. Mm. Um, so I, I know there are some who can see negatives in the way that the sport has grown, but I've only really known it from the point of view of someone who joined during the boom. Yeah. So it will be interesting to see how it goes over the next five years because people may lose interest a bit. Yeah. Or that's true. It, it could it could settle down to a, a different level. By comparison, uh, in cross country skiing, it was so I'm involved in the um in one of the community organisations um for cross country skiing in Victoria, and we. Think we don't have solid data, but we generally understand that it was a lot more popular in the 80s and 90s, okay. and it is less popular now. Um, not everywhere. Um, I think at Falls Creek, it's doing pretty well still. Yeah. Um, but it's been affected by climate change. It's been affected by the people's priorities and preferences yeah. and the amount of work they have to do. And so there are some places where there's a lot less skiing happening now than mm. there was before. Um, trail running obviously faces some of those same issues. You know, mm. we're about to go into another hot and dry summer with bushfire risk and yeah. we're at the mercy of 
of the weather mm. on that one. So I'm I'm not sure how trail gonna... running is going to go yeah. over the next ten years, but there are certainly some threats. Yeah. As well as plenty of opportunities. Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> All right. I have kept you like ages and it's been really inspiring listening to your story. I love what you've done with the with the skiing and then into the running and and obviously your, you know, your background with the skiing has really, you know, set you up to be quite a competitive um distance runner as well, which is awesome. Is there anything about running? I'll ask you in a minute, I'll ask you for some tips, but is there anything else in general about running that you'd like to share that we haven't maybe touched on? Um, this one's a bit out of left field. Oh, I love left field. And it's, it's actually, it's a little bit, it's a little bit gross and a little bit personal, but oh, I'll, I'll go, go for, for it anyway. It. Go for it. <laughs> I remember I, this sort of just occurred to me. One of the reasons I was not particularly into running yeah. was that I had big cyclic thighs and I used to get chafing when I went out during the day. What? And someone introduced me to a thing called body glide. Yes, which I like. is a sort of a, a very hard-wearing petroleum product. Mm-hmm. And that meant that I was able to do 100 miles without having to reapply and basically could use that to solve any rubbing. So in terms of tips for running is find a product that works and use it to stay comfortable because <laughs> you don't have to suffer through it. Invest in it. <laughs> yeah. I love that. All right. Um, over to you with a couple more tips apart from body glide, which I agree oh, is a very good investment. <laughs> what else would you give uh, beginner runners? If someone came up to you and said, look, you already said that you had you trained your wife to 15Ks. Yeah. Um, how would you get them started if they hadn't been much of a runner in the past? I would say start small and start slow. Yeah. So my view is that a lot of people are trying to run much too fast mm. and they just go out around the block. And lots of people say, I couldn't possibly keep up with you because <laughs> um, because you'd be way too fast. And I yeah. say, but what pace do you actually run at? And it turns out we're not very different at all. So for most people, it is try and be relaxed while you do it. Yeah. If you can talk, that's great. If you have to walk some of the time, that's perfectly fine. Yeah. Um, the second thing is you just have to start doing it. It doesn't have to be a perfect run. It doesn't have to be somewhere particularly nice. If it's just from one train station up the line to where you yeah. usually get off, yeah. it's better than nothing. And the more you just find opportunities to do a little bit of running, Mm. it will slowly start to get easier and then you will find that you're slightly more willing to do it each time and it just becomes a little bit easier and then you will eventually get to the point where you go, oh, this actually feels okay. Um, So that's the first. The first one is just do any running and do it slowly. Um, I think the other one is, if you've got, um, if you find that running on the footpath is hard work because your knees hurt or you find your legs really hurt, if you can go trail running, you get a lot of different, um, it works a lot of different muscles, muscles and works mm. on your balance as well. And so that can be a way that you can think 
it, it can be a bit more pleasant running on a softer and rougher surface. Yeah. Um, you can take it really slow. You're allowed to walk up the hills. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'd certainly encourage people to do that. Um, and I think the third is if you invest in a running backpack, you'll find it much easier than having to hold your phone and hold a water bottle or hold your car keys or your wallet or whatever else you need to carry. Yeah. Um, so that's the other thing to invest in. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I need a new one, actually. <laughs> that was been one of my research things. I need to get a new backpack. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'll just add one more, which I sort of mentioned at the start, which is if you've got someone to go running with, then it's so much easier to pull yourself out of bed to actually make that commitment because you get to chat to someone at the same time. Yeah, and you're accountable, aren't you, when you have someone yeah. else? It's much harder to say, uh, sorry, I can't go today, can't get out of bed. <laughs> Oh, yep. to someone else if that's the only reason because you just can't get out of it <laughs> awesome well nick thank you so much don't jump off straight away because i will say goodbye to you off the recording also but uh, big thank you for sharing your story it has been really cool it's been great to get to know you and i have enjoyed hearing about your story so thank you for sharing thank you thank you for listening to the fit mind fit body podcast i'd love to talk to you about your running journey send me a message on Facebook or on the website and let's do it. I also wanted to let you know that I've created an email list so you won't miss any podcast episodes. You'll find details in the show notes and on the Fit Mind Fit Body website, along with a bunch of resources on mindful running. They'll help you to get and stay mentally and physically fit. And I'll see you there. Plus, I'll be back here in your podcast player a few times a week. Hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And before you go, I'd really appreciate it if you would leave a review. It'll help more people to find the podcast and get inspired to start running and ultimately to improve their life. See you soon.